0: Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Brendan Hausler with Evoke Bike. Today I am super excited to have Debbie Milne on. She is a nine-time national champion. She's also a sports nutritionist. She co-founded Supra. And we just talk about a lot of different topics that can help you optimize your training and racing through her experience. This is a really good one. Everyone has a unique perspective and I really loved hers and seen the big picture of cycling in our lives. Debbie, thanks so much for doing this. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hit me up if you have any questions, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: I know. Did you have a good Thanksgiving?
0: It was good. It was – I was up at North Carolina at my sister's place. It was a little chillier than it is in Florida, so shortened rides, trying to be – uh family member (laughs) it actually created a little bit of uh for the first time ever a little bit of like friction and i was really i was like guys this is i do this all the time the bike's here it's getting ridden so you know I,
1: i know it's like i sometimes i'll bring the rollers and um i'm thinking of my family my mom and dad and um and they're not very active so they you know they know i race but but like if they say hey let's watch a movie i'll be like I'm. I'm just gonna put the rollers behind all of you guys, <laughs> and they and they've they've learned that I was like, please understand, I'm still enjoying the movie, but even if I'm doing something, it's better than nothing, you uh-huh. know. So.
0: Yeah, the big thing with me was we were eating at one, and the perfect time to ride was in the afternoon. It was it was 27 in the morning there, and I'm just <laughs> I don't I'm not doing that. And the one complaint was, well, you used to do that when you lived in upstate New York, and I was like, well, that's why I moved. so it's just a little bit of uh a little bit of friction and it's all good so
1: i know um, it's it's, in the end they usually will forgive you and you know i think my my family's not healthy so you know i could argue that you know that i'm actually you know if i'm trying to do it to make money or it's part of like something i do for a living i mean surely they can understand it i I figure they just have to, I guess.
2: And
0: that's, you know, it's gotten to the point where for coaching and, you know, a lot of the stuff we do with social media, it's, I tell, I'm like, I have to be riding. Like that's part of what motivates people is they see me putting in the work that I'm asking other people to do, or I'm talking about go do these types of rides. And if I'm not doing them, why would anybody else do them? And
1: yeah, they, I, you're right. If you don't like modeling, something is, a uh, can help people change their behaviors. And I, I tell you, like. I know November, I've learned, and I'm not so much needing to make money, uh, uh, the money that I used to make to do this. But, anyways, I know November, it's just going to happen. People are going to visit. Like, my daughter comes into town. I'm like, well, I can't leave her for a four hour ride. I've just finally decided I have zero. Like, you know, I just need to ride some, whatever it is. But I'll get messages from people I don't even know that's like, Mel, what's wrong? You haven't been on the bike for two days. And I, <laughs> I want to say, I'm like, don't worry. I'll, I'll catch up. You know, it's like family time. I'm sorry, you know, to let you down, but I'm not coaching anybody. So I don't think they have any, I was like, what? <laughs> it shouldn't matter. But that's what they they, yeah. they expect me just to be going out and doing these hard ass rides all the time. Uh, and I, was
0: like, mm-hmm. I mean, I even had my, my rest week going. So I was like, I'm going for a two hour ride. It'll be nice and quick. You guys won't even miss me. So yeah, it's funny, but well, I appreciate yeah. you sitting down and doing this. It's uh, last time I heard you speak was down at the Red Bluff Grand Fondo, and
2: yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh,
0: just your background and being clinical dietitian and wellness dietitian, and your if anyone is in the southeast, uh, they know your name from racing. You crush it. So I appreciate you kind of just uh, shedding some light, pulling the curtain back a little bit, and we will definitely inspire some more racers men and women to just keep going after it so yeah so let's just jump in so everybody welcome to the evoke bike podcast we have debbie milney here today and i usually like to let the athlete introduce themselves which i'll do but i just want to preface that i know and correct me if i'm wrong on any of this you've been racing for over 20 years which is massive Over a
1: hundred
0: over twenty and over (laughs) hundred and eighty wins and four masters national titles. So that is like the the wow factor for everybody to try to most people won't even do half of the races that you've won, which is incredible. Um, but I'll let you who is Debbie Milney? That's the first question. Okay.
1: Well um Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I used to think I'm mainly a mom, but, but, um, no, I'm a mom and I'm also somebody who loves cycling. You know, when I found it, I've done it most of my life. Um, you know, just as a kid, it was a vehicle to get places, college, a vehicle to get to class. And then somehow you find out about racing. I don't know if we'll talk about that. I think that was one of your questions, but yeah, I mean, I, I think of myself as a cyclist, I will always ride a bike. You know, even if I'm not racing, um, but I am. I did, you know, get a college degree in education, and I'm. I have a. I'm a registered dietitian um i've i've been board certified in sports nutrition and that's something when you get that board certification you have to take an exam every five years um just to show that you've been working with people and that you've been up to date with you know just uh current research and trends um and i'm due to take that so officially right now they i, I had to get a certain number of hours so but anyways i'm a sports nutrition consultant and a wellness dietitian my master's is in health promotion. And health is really important, not just your physical health, but your social, your mental health, your vocational health, um, they throw intellectual and spiritual health in there. And that is basically, I love that. I love wellness, like, and, and, and people uh, finding that balance in all those areas of health, because it's hard, you can work on one of them, or be so tied up in one of those areas that it it absolutely always affects all the other areas, kind of like, when you travel for thanksgiving and you have your emotional connections and social connections with your family but your vocation is cycling or it's a, you know so trying to find that balance what you want to do and how you try to balance um make putting enough effort into each of those areas affects each other so i really love health promotion but i started racing cycling uh you know pretty much to make money for my kids and I did do a lot of races, and and I, I can't. I, I know it's over. Might be over 180 wins. Um, I, I counted them once, and I, I should have had that down there. But I've won nine Masters National,
0: nine. National Championships. So those yes. sites, So I could have sworn that it was off your team. Maybe it was an old team website, and I was like, oh, my,
1: it was probably old. And I'm bad. I mean, I'm very proud of them, and I go around and I update them in different places, but. Some, it seems like four seems to be the number most people will stick with. Like they, 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 it sticks in their head. Yeah. Because <laughs> right. I hear that a lot, and I'm like, well, it's actually it's actually nine now after this past summer." Um, and I do have one Masters National Championship. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Believe me, uh, um, it's hard to win them for different reasons. I, I think it's a little, uh, you know, maybe a little harder for men because the competition pool is much bigger. But it's always hard. Like I, oh, I tell sorry. people,
0: don't yeah, get it's Yeah.
1: <laughs> somebody's it, it just takes one person who is prepared better for you feeling better than you knows the course better lives it out to you just one person can keep you from getting the only prize in that race
2: Which well,
0: is, and the other thing is to hit nine when you line up guess who has a bullseye on their back you know oh, oh, yeah. i can only imagine the number of races you've been in where people will apologize i mean i'll have people that roll up and be like hey man must must be horrible to be marked I'm like that's just racing it's up to me to figure out how to still win and
2: yeah i yeah. said
0: after the first one i said the second one is going to be way harder and just because yeah,
1: yeah you're well, and they you expect you they will expect you also to be the one who cares the most about uh what other people are doing because you, you you know because you know you can win it and so the burden might be on you well you know like well you know you can win it like if, if you don't want this to go down the road you know but sometimes they just look at, at you to especially in a smaller women's field, I've my the fields in, in all those nine championships have ranged from maybe I think the smallest field might have been 11 and as much as 25 or 30 women. Mm-hmm. So it's um, sometimes, sometimes they don't know each other, but as time goes by, they they do begin to know who you are when you show up and you know, you stalk everybody that's well, at least I can because there's you know, 15 people to look up and I look up what they've done and you know, try to see what they're doing. And I respect everybody that comes. And I try to figure out who's the most important people to watch. Um, So I'm sure people do that too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it's in even the men's though, we've had small fields for the master's nationals at 35 plus. And this past year in Albuquerque, we were waiting for results to come through. I was waiting for a, a friend's and I was refreshing the feed. And I noticed 60 plus had about, I think 45 or 50 racers. And I, was like, I want to be in that race. That has <laughs> so many people.
2: <laughs> yeah. So
0: a, a true, a true road race. Uh, you said something that was actually very interesting when we we're talking about wellness that I want to go back to. where, okay. you know, it's this all-encompassing many factors of wellness, not just physical. How do you see cyclists where we're so maybe a little too obsessed with hitting watts and workouts? And I know a lot of people that definitely overlook the racing side of things versus the physical make me stronger side of things. And that's just within cycling. Do you think having a passion like cycling or an endurance sport can almost be a hamper to finding this wellness balance mm-hmm. between everything? Well, and how do you, how have you focused on that in your own life, being someone who's super successful at the sport? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like, maybe we're too obsessed with cycling. <laughs>
2: Well,
1: you know, it's, it's not a legit like experiment to like, if I take a look and reflect on what I did, but I did come up during a time when um, I had there really weren't power meters and maybe some people looked at their heart rate and, you know, or something like that in a race, maybe there were power meters, but we're talking 20 years ago. So I never used anything like that. I've, I've raced B i have raced I raced and trained on how I felt. And, and, mm-hmm. and then there was some shortcomings of that, of always, always pushing myself. And because for me, it was a matter, can I go harder right now or not? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was mainly what I, even in training, I'm like, you know, I would always want to train for average speed. I lived in Mississippi. I lived in Birmingham for a while. And, um, but once I started racing a lot, it was in Mississippi. And, and so I basically would go out, I would say, how many miles can I get and and what's the highest average speed can I come back with? <laughs> and, and so, and, you know, to me, it was, I got really in touch with how I was feeling, you know, I'm sure there were numbers that would go along and, and, and that was one way to train, but this is me in my ignorance. I just, that's just what I did. Um, and then I learned later, um, about some structure and some structure is probably good talking about that balance. I had a mentor who I was like, well, what, what do you do to train? I was doing pretty good. He goes, well, you need to take some rest days because I wouldn't do that. And I found out later my rest days weren't really rest days, but in my mind they were. So he gave me a schedule like Monday, rest day, Tuesday practice on sprints. Wednesday would be intervals. Thursday would be like a long tempo ride. Friday, you'd rest. And then Saturday and Sunday, you'd just go out to group rides, just do the hardest stuff you could think of, kind of like race imitation, you know, type of things. And, and I did that. And my goal was to be as many miles as I could and, and do and follow that pattern. But it was real simple after that. Um, you know, I would, get, I would structure my day and get up early, whether it would be on the rollers or, you know, when my kids were older and my oldest could Wake up and you know start school. I, I homeschooled, you know. I could I could get back, you know. I could get a couple of hours in, but I, I never really looked at numbers so much. And um, but I learned like when I could go harder. I mean, I could tell you like I could tell by how I felt when you know I could I could take a guess and go, man, I bet my heart. It's about one seventy, and I'd always be right. Like whatever I would feel, so I really learned how I was feeling. And I learned when I could do more or not. But, and then I think that I never limited myself because I wasn't looking at numbers that might tell me, can you really do this? You know what I'm saying? Or should you be doing this? Mm-hmm. So I it was pretty carefree. Once I got off the bike, I could be free, you know, for the rest of the day, you know, to do other things and that whole balance of health, you know, to not have to to think about these numbers and worry because it'll come back in your head. Just kind of like weighing yourself every day. If you're focusing on weight, if you wake up every day and weigh yourself and it's not what you want to see, it just sets your tone for the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe your attitude or your mood or whether you're going to eat appropriately or not, you know, and everybody's weight changes every day. Um, I think it's kind of like when you over-focus on food that you become so obsessed with it, that you, your mind is caught up in in that activity of assessing what I ate or was that a- accurate that you just don't have enough time to be present with people. Sometimes that are even talking to you. You know, you, you're, you're, you're lost in this world of that. Wasn't, you know, Oh, I don't know if that meal was perfect or you might, one might think, Oh, that workout wasn't like the best workout because they overlooked the numbers, but I don't use numbers. So it's hard for me. You know, I you still don't me,
0: train with power.
1: No, I don't train with no. power only because I'm, you know, I'm over 50 now. And by the time I might've trained with power, my son Micah was coming along. And so anything, expensive that we could buy. Um, it would be for him
0: Okay, <laughs> you know,
1: like a time trial helmet or a power meter or a really nice computer with, and, uh, yeah. So I, That's I did awesome. never treat power. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about the nutrition. So let's dive into that. I mean, this is your background that you're in talk about that mentality with food and athletics. And when you had just said something of not being present in a conversation. I remember I had count when I was first starting and trying to understand macros more. I came into cycling knowing nothing about nutrition. And I've said this on a podcast before. I remember I got Bicycling Magazine and I was reading about what was a carb, what was a fat, what was a protein. And I'm like, okay, this is this. I'm like, oh, carbs are what I need to eat to like go hard and da, da da da. And so I had done calorie counting before, which I'm not a fan of. It's the exact opposite of listening to your body. And I would be, it would, it would send me down this, if I went out to eat and not being able to know exactly what I'm supposed to be logging, drove me nuts. Like it, threw, not- it threw off the whole day. The calculation was not perfect. And I had tried, <laughs> I did everything. You know, I was like, I'm just going to go into this and try and see what people are doing with this. So when you mentioned not weighing yourself every day, what do you think is a, big picture overview of a health of a healthy athlete that might be trying to lose weight. How often should they be? How should they start thinking about this? Cause it's very daunting to people saying, geez, okay, where do I even start? I need, let's work? say I need to lose 10 pounds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, and, and if, if I, I, I'll give advice as, as a dietitian, I suppose. Um, generally if I run into someone who, who needs to lose weight, Um, or they say they need to lose weight, you know, I'll find out, I'll do, you know, I'll I'll do an assessment, you know, where's their BMI, you know, what, you know, they're a healthy weight right now. So, you know, why do they want to lose weight? Do they, do they think this will uh, increase their performance? And, um, and so I let them know, like, especially if they're at a healthy weight, I'd let them know, you know, right now you're at a healthy weight you know, so change, you know, and if they're eating and I'll look at their eating patterns, okay. if they don't feel like they overeat or, you know, they, they're not restricting. And I, you know, I might say your, your body can probably, I mean, I know your body could weigh within a range, a different number of, of uh, uh, you know, like a range, let's say within five pounds or maybe 10 pounds, but let's say they really do need to lose weight. So I'll say, okay, I can understand, you know, you're, you're pretty, you're healthy. Your food choices look great um but you but you feel like you would climb better and you know have better power to weight ratio okay i get it so for performance reasons that might be a reason why you might want to change your body composition uh, most people don't want to lose muscle right they they'll start immediately thinking of losing fat so what i'll do is i say well, you know i can help you like I, and this is what i tell them i you know i'll i'll come up i'll do some numbers you know we have some equations that help us figure out um and depending on if they're already under eating, you know, that's difficult, you know, because their body might already be like in a slower metabolic rate and making some adaptations for underfeeding. Um, and it may be very difficult for them to lose weight without undernourishing themselves. So, so- can you
0: start to jump in? That is and I've heard people talk about this. Just, cutting too much is not a good thing. Is that correct?
1: That's, that's correct because the body will just, it, eventually it'll fight back. It, weight loss is reading the food environment as being scarce, when especially when it's um, too excessive. Like I, I've worked recently with someone Who was, for example, like they were following a a macro program and and this person isn't the only one. I see it so often and it'll come up with probably a reasonable calorie cut for them, Mm -hmm. um, maybe 500 calories less a day. And it's always better to lose weight out of season or to intentionally try to lose weight out of season and to do it appropriately. Generally, you bump up the protein per kilogram, you know, just to kind of preserve that lean muscle mass. And then it's about a 500 calorie cut, Mm -hmm. you know, you could, you know, but I'll see people who will take that number, give it to them. And then they'll still try to do better than that. You Mm -hmm. know, I'll look at their food records and I'll say well, you, that you already had a, a calorie deficit, you know, um, goal for meeting this, this one nutrition goal. So when so you're you're not only you, you know, when you don't meet that you're actually taking away more calories from that. Mm-hmm. So safely, I would say, if you had if you could, you know, most of these apps would give you a Mifflin St. Jor, uh, you know, of a Mifflin St. Jor equation is just a way to estimate how many calories you burn at rest, you know, or just that you burn in a normal day, not including um, the physical activity, you asked me a complicated question, but (laughs) the the way I do it is I say, okay, what's you not training? Okay. What do you mow yards for a living? Do you sit at a desk and I'll come up with what their calorie needs to maintain their mass and, you know, protein, um, carbohydrate and fat as an athlete, the kind of athlete they are and the, and I'll say, okay, we need to meet those first of all. Okay. And if you want to lose weight, we can take some away from that. You know, we can take 500 calories away from that. And that would might reflect in your meals. but when you're training, you've got to add more calories for that. And I'm a proponent of, of in your training, to, you know, take what you need before, during, and after to, to be able to complete the training and, um, and then do, you know, uh, help your body recover. Um, when you do that, you're going to add a certain number of calories every day just by following sports nutrition guidelines. And there are no cuts there for me. You know, you know, I don't, I don't say, well, we'll, you know, we we'll just don't eat while you're exercising. You know, I'll have, I'll have them continue with it. Cause your body makes adaptations to, you know, absorbing the food and tolerating the food and you can train your gut to be more efficient at that. So you don't, you don't want to cut the calories there while you're training. That's my approach. I'm not saying some days that you can't, you know, there's a lot of approaches where people will sometimes train low carbohydrate, but, you know, just sometimes on an easy day and then higher car- carbohydrates on a hard day. But most people I meet, if you want to put them in a, a box of, of, like you said, of just obsession, then you would give them a, a workout like that. You know, maybe mm-hmm. somebody's going to the Olympics and they really got to nail this and this is their life and that's all they think about anyway. Maybe some of those str- nutritional periodization strategies, you know, like training the body to store more carbs and stuff might be a good approach. But for your average athlete, uh, to me, it's really simple. I say, you have needs that you need to meet just because you're you and you have a job and you do that every day. And then you have needs that you need to meet because you're an athlete, you know, and you, and the better, to me, the better approach is to to put that food, that extra nutrition around the exercise. And if the exercise is long enough, I mean, think about it. If you train three or four hours, you're going to skip a meal, like you're going to miss a meal. Uh So that's when the longer training hours you got, you have to decide, okay, Maybe, maybe I will bump up the meal before that a little bit or have a little or have two recovery, you know, like two recovery snacks and that nutrient timing, that nutrition and throughout the day is, um, is art of it. When you work with someone and look at their schedule, when do you work out? Do you eat right before you work out? Or are you going to follow up right when you finish? Are you going to go somewhere and eat, you know, and then try to say, okay, so, so you ate dinner, but could you fit something in here between dinner and bedtime? And it is good to go to bed, you know, like, you know, not having eaten for a couple hours, just so you can really have a good fast while you're sleeping. Um, But, but then, then I tell people, um, I give them portions that would meet that. And that's why I think working with a dietitian might, might be helpful for someone trying to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you under eat too much, again, you're going to slow your metabolism, you're going to become frustrated, and you, you might even get increased feelings of hunger where you find you're just binging, you know, and you can't help it. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't feel bad about yourself, because that's very natural. So um, I will give people portions based on uh, what I know, their carbon protein numbers, I figured for them, and I teach them how to build a plate like that. And I tell them, you know, maybe measure it first, if you for something like not a slice of bread, but like potatoes, Mm -hmm. um, and see kind of see what it looks like, get a good idea, you know, then when you know what that visual looks like that these are good portions for me. Then, then you eat slowly and, and you let your body give you some feedback. Like if you're still mm-hmm. hungry, you know, maybe get some more. Or even if you leave five or six bites behind, but you're really, you know, I'm full, I'm I'm pretty satisfied, then just leave it behind. And that natural process of listening to, wait, I'm I'm still a little bit hungry, or, you know, this is just too much, I'm too full, then then you're not, because even if you measured your food and people really tried, they're not going to nail the exact numbers they hope to nail. You know, right, if you go... Right. If you go to wherever I'm going to make a like Burger King and get a hamburger and they tell you it's 650 calories, you know, it could be 700 calories or it could be 600 calories.
2: Right. So some,
1: sometimes eating slowly and, and you know, and leaving it, just trying to to do that can help you take that with you the rest of your life, you know, or if you, you know, if you don't, if you stop cycling, you know, and stop doing. Yeah. Uh, screwed. Uh, do you count all your calories?
0: No, I mean, I'm screwed if I stop cycling because I'm used to eating so much food. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, know what? Uh, Debbie's not telling you to go to Burger King. I've had a couple people that are like, okay, no more fast food. I'm like, why is that even in your diet? You're yeah. yeah. not good. There's so many better options.
1: Yeah, but, well, let me tell you a little bit about that because any dietitian listening, I'll get a bunch of messages if I don't say this. Is in, in our field, we really teach people. I don't. I, I'm not so stringently saying all food's are good. You know, like like if if sharing pizza with your family, you know, it will be will build another area of health, having pizza one night is not going to derail what you do 80 or 90% of the time. I personally don't like how I feel after I eat a whopper. And that's what I have learned to focus on, you know, is like, was that really worth it? Did I really like the taste of it? But if my daughter came and said to me like hey, and they don't do this anymore. But when they were little, like they say, like, well, can we go get a, you know, hamburger or Whopper? And, you know, I'd be like, well, okay, it's a treat. You know, we don't eat that every, every day. So, you know, I would share that experience with them, but feel like crap usually Mm -hmm. (laughs) afterwards. So that is not the bulk of my, my, um, but I do take about an 80, 90% approach. So that like, if I go to my parents and they do, they don't really cook that healthy that I don't create all the strife with them because I realize they're not going to change. You know, Mm. Um, I hope my parents aren't listening to this, but you know, they,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I won't tag them on social media.
1: They're probably not on it, but no, I mean, they, they, they have pretty good nutrition. Um, I, I would say, you know, that they have a lot of vegetables and things like that, but there's things I don't eat like trans fats and, you know, like a lot of sugary things when I'm not on the bike You know,
0: I don't eat a lot of that. I mean, that was my sister's thing at Thanksgiving. I ate a piece of this like apple cake and she was like, I told you, I told you I'd get you to eat sugar. And I was like, I don't, I don't, you know, my life was very different before I found cycling. I was very Mm -hmm. unhealthy, just not nothing like I am today. And I'm glad that I found cycling because it made that change. Mm -hmm. And I made the mistake of once I saw the positive changes that were happening in my life, I got a little bit on my soapbox with my family. There was a little bit of strife and I probably stepped out of line and trying to, you know, all of a sudden I think I'm doing the right thing and I need to tell everybody about it, which is obviously not the way to do it. And so I think there's still a little bit of that residual, um, you know, no one else is an endurance athlete. No one else is waking up to ride three hours. And so they look at it differently than me. And I just tried to, like you said, if they're going to have unhealthy choices, I don't say anything about it. I try not to stop to jump into it. But man, when I'm there and there are plates of cookies and this is sweet and that is sweet. And it is just, I'm just like, Oh my God, I got to get out of this room. Like it is hard for me (laughs) because the old me is just like, just eat it all.
2: So it's
0: a, it's a funny time for sure. Um,
2: well, do
1: you, I mean, do you like, I usually, and I used to, I guess I haven't told you this. I, I used to actually have an eating disorder. It was bad. You know, I did, I just didn't eat. Um, Protein was, you know, protein and fiber. They were like the good foods. And basically, like, you know, I I, I can remember for the longest time, like just wouldn't eat anything sweet at all.
2: Mm. And the problem
1: was then I it was it was a bad relationship with the food. I, I, If I don't eat it all the time now, it's not because I feel like I can't. It's just I, I really don't want to. It doesn't it does. I mean, it's sure it's, you know, if you have ice cream, like, oh, maybe I'll eat a little but, um, it doesn't, um, like generally it doesn't give as much to eat too much of it. Like I usually don't feel good. That has been the biggest game changer. It's not that I can't eat it. Um, I know that I know from what I've studied, if I ate that all the time, I would feel awful. And I also know from, you know, nutrition patterns that would be unhealthy, you know? So it's really hard to find a place where like, I can go to a place and there's tons of sweets and I'm, and I never thought I'd be there. But I, I'm just indifferent, you know, I may mm-hmm. want to try it. And I may not. And, you know, a lot of and I think that's just getting recovered from having an eating disorder, which was so bad, um, that it, it was fun trying to find a way to have a, a peaceful relationship with food to not fear it at all. And just make objective decisions, you know, about like, sure, I could eat that and it would taste good. But you know, like, I also know that the more I eat it, the more my brain likes it, and I'll probably eat more and more, and then right. I'm going to feel awful. Um, I don't. I never beat myself up anymore, or go to weigh myself the next day to see what I weigh. <laughs> hell I, no. <laughs> no, hell no. I just sit with the consequences of like how I feel. Was was that a good decision? You know, did I eat too much? Um, but it took me a long time to get here. Like a long time. Oh
0: yeah. Well, people want this change, especially newer endurance athletes. They want to get to where they're at to super lean, have no crave, like be perfect in a year. And people think that I, I get these emails and comments like, Oh, you probably wouldn't eat that. I put on Instagram, like me and my husband, Chris, we eat pizza. I recently did. Um, one of the coaches Craig had proposed no sugar except for when riding. And that has been a game changer for me. So it has really helped keep weight fluctuation down, keep cravings down. But my mindset more. I don't miss that stuff unless because we don't buy it now. And unless I'm in a room surrounded by it and cookies and potato chips or French fries are my weakness. That is what I would just (laughs) love to go crush. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen. And I tell people, you know, don't burn so many mental matches, not eating it. But yeah, think about it. I said in a podcast, go take a bite of it, walk into the room, ask yourself, how good was that? Do I want more? Or was that just a fleeting feeling? You know, you taste it. They say even things like coffee, you know, if you smell coffee, sometimes it crushes your craving. You don't actually want to drink it. And so I think there's other, other methods of dealing with that. I don't want an athlete to be so distraught over the thought of eating a piece of cake that they are just unhappy the whole time. Go eat the freaking piece of cake. Just make sure you go ride your bike. If you feel good about it. Great. But you know there's also then the opposite of you eat one cookie now you think you need to eat 10 and Mm -hmm. so trying to stay away from that but it's such a it's such a learning your own body it's such a long journey and that's why I think is really interesting with it I'm still learning and still trying to get better at it and as I get older trying to make smarter choices I'll be 40 so I always laugh when my friends who are older than me are like, oh, once after you hit 35, it, it gets hard." I'm like, whatever, guys. And now I'm seeing, you know, I pay the price more. And that's, uh, it, it's just nothing. So how old tastes- are you? How I'm are you? 30, 39. I turned 40 in January.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well. I, I turned fifty a couple of years ago. I just turned fifty-two, and people always told me that that as well, like, oh, wait till you get older. And it, and I can tell you, like, it really isn't. If you if you eat on a regular basis, this this is what I tell people. If you have structured eating, like I, I'm not a big fan of like fasting for long periods of time. I'm 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 about waking up and you're already your cortisol levels are already high because you've been fasting through the night. Um, I'm about having just something and stop that that starvation worry that your body has, like it doesn't know when you're going to eat again. So like if you eat in the morning time, you know, you, you know, it could be within two hours of waking, you know, if you want to fast a little bit longer, but usually then eating every three to four hours for one, that is great for as an athlete for recovery to bolus in protein, and especially like carbs, if you're trying to restore glycogen levels. So have this, you have the structure say, I'm going to eat every three or four hours. If it can't be a meal, then that means it needs to be a snack. Mm-hmm. Um, And so then I'm going to, having learned what good portions are for me, I mean, maybe you do need, maybe a person does need to learn that because maybe this has so been blown out of proportion, they have no idea. And then someone who can do those numbers and say, Hey, this is an estimate. Let's start with this. You, if you build your plate like this, you know, eat slowly, you know, enjoy it. And if you're, if you're really full, if there's just like the last third of a sandwich, you don't have to finish it because you think, Oh, these are all the calories I get to eat when your body's like, exactly. man, I'm full. Yeah. <laughs> so just, I would just say, just like, just leave it. Cause the goal, other golden rules, if you get hungry, you know, and you're not going to eat soon, that that's your body saying, I need something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm a real, I try to respect that, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm going to eat every three or four hours. And if I'm hungry, I'm going to have something, even if it wasn't planned, if you you follow and then you have a balanced plate, you know, you got healthy fats, and I am am a proponent of 80 to 90% of the time picking foods that help your body function and age well, you know, and prevent, you know, disease or um, inflammation in the body. So if you mainly eat the healthier fats, and you know, I say, the less refined carbs. Um, mm-hmm. Probably your friend that said no, no sugar, or the goal is be, I'm gonna limit my my refined carbohydrates and my sugar intake to the time surrounding my my workout. Um, I, I mean, for one, that's a great time to get like a treat if you're out with your friends and they stop by the bakery. You know, you could get a a sticky bun if you like it, or something, or a cookie. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, because that your body's going to use it really fast as as you as you you go and you know finish riding home. But if but if you do that, if you build balanced meals that eat every three to four hours, and if you quit cycling, um, your, your weight would be it would stay within you know a natural range for you, and it wouldn't fluctuate wildly. Um, it's restricting that leads to binging. Um, and especially when we feel guilty about it and then we say, oh, I'll make up for it tomorrow, by not eating, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll just barely eat then eventually by the evening. And I've seen this so much, so famished and they, you know, completely overdo it and binge and that's a completely natural response to the body. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: then the next day they say, oh, darn, I blew it. And they go back into that cycle. So I don't think it has to be hard if you. Yeah. You know, if you, you know, again, eating healthy foods that make you feel good and having a balanced plate eating every three to four hours, and believe me, your hunger appetite hormones will come right in line with that. You know, if someone spends a whole day not eating and eventually, you know, they're not going to feel hungry, Their metabolism will slow down and, you know, and they just do this minimalistic eating. Um, and I tell people, you know, even if they're good on the bike, and I, I mostly relate to the bike, I have ran and done other things. I'd say, you know, even if you're really good, how do you know that that's your best? You mm-hmm. know, because believe me, when I when I was live, trying to live on 800 calories a day, I, I made some pretty good accomplishments. You know, I've I won my first two national titles while still struggling with this, you know, back in 2009 and 10. But I went to a lot of elite national championships where I mean, I got seventh or sixth and I'm I'm watching the people finish, you know, and I'm, I'm a stone's throw away from them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm there. I'm like, they're you know, five seconds ahead of me. And I keep thinking if boy, if I had supplied myself with more of those carbohydrates, you know, that you really need when everything gets really fast at the end for the finish, you know, how could I have done? I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but I can't go back and get those years back. So I usually say, you know, just feed your body what it needs, you know, and and then the weight and then respect things like hunger and fullness And, and then on the bike, you have to eat ahead of need. I mean, you have to eat before you feel like you need it, Mm -hmm. or you're not going to have those carbs coming into your bloodstream to start taking over when the glycogen stores are just like starting to tank and get really low and low glycogen stores can even affect muscle function. So, you know, a, a carbohydrate is probably the thing people compromise the most. I think when I run into athletes, you know, just following that low carb diet, trying to lose weight and get skin, you know, thinner.
0: <laughs> mm, uh, yeah. I'm stronger over skinnier. That's what I hope people take from some of our channel is mm-hmm. not into trying to be emaciated. That does not win a bike race, especially when people mo- I well, I should say only about 60% of our listeners are from the U.S. We have a pretty decent U.K. and Western Europe crew, and so they have some longer climbs. And, and granted, out West Colorado, there are races with you know longer climbs than 15, 20 minutes. But you know the power to weight thing is important, but I think it's blown out of proportion for amateurs in the U.S., When they're trying to compare themselves to European pros, I'm like, guys, you're not doing the same races. It's a stop thinking that way. And thankfully riders like Peter Sagan have come out and now there's pros that actually talk about the fact that they're in the gym and they're doing some cross training. It's not just lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. Right? Yeah. so that's been huge. Uh, I'm glad that that message is getting out these days and kind of, this is a good shifting point to training. Um, What do you think is a really big wide open question? What do you think is one of the most important aspects of your training through the years?
1: Um, I, I tried to write a note because I was like, well, what would that be? Um I <laughs> I used to say, please, nobody, I'm not an expert and I'm not a coach, but I used to say nothing works like miles.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, and that's what Love I would it. say. Like I, I would say nothing works, and maybe someone could translate that into hours. Because where I live now, it's a lot harder to get the miles than it was in Mississippi. I live in Greenville. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a hundred to two hundred feet of climbing of elevation for every mile, or something like that. Um,
0: so I've, done the massive, I've, been, I've done the massive change of hundred mile rides. were ten thousand feet in North Carolina, and now a hundred mile rides are about six hundred feet in Florida. So it's quite <laughs> different. <Right. laughs>
1: yeah. So I mean, in a way, it's kind of nice because. Um, you know, cuz I when I went, when I used to train, like I, I the most important aspect, um over the years it, yeah, I'd have to say it was always about um yeah, about getting it, as much as I could train train. Now now it doesn't necessarily mean average speed rides like as hard as I can ride, but whether it's just, you know, that trying to keep my heart rate right around 145 or 150, not an average but like right around there, what I call base miles you know, for a long amount of time, like not riding super hard all the time, but, you know, if I just did intervals every day, um, and just an hour of intervals every day, I I don't think I could do some of these harder races, even in a, in a criterium. Um, I, I, that's what I think. This is what I found. The things that, that, uh, that worked for me are, is that I get those long miles that not necessarily just killing it uh, at any point on those. Um, sometimes we just go hard in the climbs, But going and getting those long, those long miles, which maybe the heart rate is, you know, you know, if I look down it's around 150 or 160 a lot, Um, and then um, doing more intervals, I I do more intervals now than I did initially, I used to only do intervals once a day, but when I'm at the beginning of the season, like when I'm trying to really get ready, Mm -hmm. I'll do intervals like three days in a row which gets really harder by the third day. Um, and then you have to rest. Like now it's like, I'm happy to rest. I'm happy to get up and only spend for 15 or 20 minutes and then spin again at night for 15 or 20 minutes after doing that. I won't continue to do intervals three days in a row for the whole season, but it's kind of like this thing where I build up to this level of fitness where, you know, I've got all these base miles in. And once it's there, you know, once you have that aerobic, um, I'm you know, I'm not a trainer. I won't I won't say I'm a coach. I'm not a coach. But from what I understand, you're, you're
0: self-coach like, though. So you're coaching somebody.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm coaching myself. Yeah. I did have coach. Like, I don't know. You know, Andrew Crater, he he yeah. taught me a lot about the intervals. I like, I just made up my own intervals and my intervals would be, you know, they might be three minutes on, two minutes off, three minutes on, two, they just whatever sounded good, you know, five on. Um, Two off, five on, two off, three on, you know, one off, three on, one off, one on, one off. I just made up n- neat numbers. Didn't even look at my heart rate. I just went as hard as I could. And he had me do it more structured, <laughs> like way more structured, way less time resting, <laughs> like way less time resting.
0: So let me jump back for a second. So when you're doing these 145 long duration average BPM rides, what is that percentage of heart rate max? Because people are going to hear this and wonder because oh. you said base miles, and that seems to me like it'd be more tempo riding, or what how could now, we- let me
1: maybe a way of look like a lot, like some people, I think I think it was was it Rebecca Rush who did Leadville so many years and did so good? I'd, well, like you could go get testing done and find out what your threshold is.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: basically riding just under that. So you really build that mitochondrial base. Okay. Um, and, and so those just not, you know, so you have to go faster on the downhills and slower on the uphills and, and able to keep your heart rate there. Um, I'm not an exercise physiologist, but when it was explained mm-hmm. to me, it made sense. I was like, oh, if I create more mitochondria, then when I start asking myself to go into my aerobic system. You know, as you know, lactate, com- um, pyruvate converts to lactate, lactate builds up and the pH drops and you become limited, but it shuttles back to pyruvate, which can enter into the aerobic system. So the better your aerobic system, the more you can handle lactic acid. Um, and I know there's a the Cori cycle, you know, it goes into your bloodstream and to the liver, but mainly it's that other system that if you have this really good aerobic base, then your, your tolerance to, to process lactic acid goes up. And I guess that's when like threshold levels may go up, but that's how I always train. That's why that's, that's also like what Andrew had me do, um, to, to go out and he'd say, no, you, you know, don't go for an average uh, speed ride, just a constant. Like I mean, like an average heart rate, but a constant heart rate. Okay, so, and that's mainly during the winter. I, you know, that's why I guess I I didn't do cross and stuff like that that would get you back in that anaerobic system where you're basically, you know, doing a time trial for, you know, whatever forty five minutes mm-hmm. an hour.
0: And to your point, that's even one reason why we're all taught, you know, these VO two max intervals. This is going to make you faster to raise your VO two max, but part of that equation, as you're saying, is mitochondrial density, which is improved by endurance riding this long yes. base miles. So mm-hmm. the, <laughs> I, I don't think that that is highlighted enough. And it's actually perfect time. I'm going to give our, our own blog a plug. I'm going to post a VO2 max article. And one of the workouts for VO2 max is ride endurance. It's not just about the cardiac pumping of your heart. It's what does, what can receive it on the other end to actually create. Also, energy.
2: So. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. It's been, um, I'm really glad to hear you say that. So, okay, so big miles, how do you, so then with my other question, which you kind of got into was, how do you gauge when you do the intensity? Is it just based on you wake up that day and you're like, I feel good, I'm going to go harder? Or is it this three-day block at a specific period that you like to do? And now having trained for so long, you kind of know like, okay, well, my races are 10 weeks out. I'm going to start doing these three, um, interval sessions a week. And then maybe like, you're probably so dialed that you you've done this for so long that you might have forgotten what you're implementing. If you had to explain it to somebody, how do you know when to go hard? I think that's one piece that a lot of athletes miss and hard.
1: Well, um, if you have a coach and he tells you not to go hard, that's not when to go hard because he may know what you need, (laughs) And if you have a coach and you're not feeling good enough to go hard, like I'm someone like, you know, some people may not want to do the work, like they don't feel like it, um, but they could do it. And there's Mm -hmm. a difference between physiologically just Mm -hmm. that, you know, it it just like, I I don't feel like this is going to do like things like your heart rate. It'd be real difficult to meet your heart rate targets, for example. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, you know what, I'm just not going to have it today. I might as well bag it. And wait till I do have it and then have a really good high intensity workout. And it's not a matter about how you feel about it or whether it hurts. It's about the feedback you might get from like, like for me, like the only time I'm going to think of it like that is if I'm doing intervals and I'm expecting to hit heart rate targets. And if I, it's just like, no matter what, I just can't hit it. It might be better to wait, you know, or to settle for something five beats less or something. Um, That's how I used to do it. Um, as far as intensity goes, but I will say I, I used to never take a break. Like I never even got out of the big ring. Like to me, that was, if you got a big ring, you were, you were not going to be strong. You're getting
0: weaker Debbie.
1: Yeah. Did we get out of the big ring? So um, the biggest, the biggest benefit was was when my this guy in um, Tupelo, he was so sweet, owned a bike shop. He had raced in Indiana. He was like, "No, you got to get." He told me, "You got to get in the small ring and just do a lot of high cadence spinning, and you know, have your heart rate not not real high intensity. Like if we did sprints, we we weren't allowed to get in the big ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he would say, do that for you know until you get about and this is him a thousand or two thousand miles, and then you can start adding some intervals." And I've changed that. What I do is like once I finish racing and I take November off, you know, kind of like we talked about, just the holidays and I know I'm. I'm. it's just not going to work for me. I got a family, you know, I work. Um, then in December, we start the base miles of what I was talking to you about. So my pattern would be go out and ride a lot of steady, you know, mm-hmm. steady miles. Um, and we do that all through December. In January, we introduce like sprint zones, but that's still only um, one day a week, right?
2: Mm-hmm. So the
1: rest of that time, I'm still just doing the base miles. And then it's like one, the, our winter bike league, we have some sprint zones and such. And so, you know, we'll do a little there just mainly for the fun of it. And then in February, I start the intervals and, and there's more intervals like in February, and March, and I probably will do the rest of the year because the racing starting. Right. Right. Yeah, So the intervals get me ready for those high intensity efforts. And I can tell you any more now when I ride once it's in season, like if I'm not feeling good, and I thought I was going to go out and do some big thing, I, I know it and I just don't plan to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just don't plan to do it. And then sometimes I'm like, I'll just feel like it, you know, so I realize I'm feeling good. And I'm known to like around here, I might do something silly like 40 hill repeats on a sleepy hollow and it's like a 12% hill over here. Mm-hmm. And I just might do something maniacal like that because it's not hurting me and I feel like doing it and I don't, and I have time to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I have a big race, yeah, I make sure that I get some of those. If I'm not, if I haven't been able to train as much as I want, I need to get those long miles. Um, and then I need to start doing some more intervals again and give myself time to recover and not come into that event, like just out of a rest week, if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: Totally. Um,
1: and that, and that's you know, Andrew taught me a lot about that, and it's worked. I mean, coming actually, out of
0: rest week, everybody feels kind of poopy and just dull, and yeah,
1: pla- yeah, placing
0: those. I think that was the biggest thing that I've realized in my error in training was I came up very much coached through the two hard days during the week. You know, at first it was like a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and then endurance was Thursday, and then the weekend you did long endurance or you were racing, and. Mm-hmm. Kind of the rinse and repeat was, well, if you have a race that weekend, you would only do one hard week, one hard interval session on Tuesday. But then if you did not have a race, you did two hard interval sessions during the week. The problem that I'm now seeing looking back was that by the time nationals happened at the, it used to be the end of June all the time. By the time that happened in upstate New York, July was dead with racing. And then August, there was like a few up towards like the Catskill mountains and and then green mountain in over labor day. I had no hunger for that. I was just burnt and I didn't really know why that was. And in looking back, I really think it was just too much traditional got to do the two hard workouts that by the time June hit, it had been now Like you're saying, start the intervals in February, March, April, May, June, five hard months, and it was just like, eh, I didn't really care. The fire was sort of gone, whereas now I've been working with Tom Bell, who's from the UK, and the reason I got him was, number one, he's a mountain biker, but he's really into the physiological side of things, and I wanted to get someone in Europe because I've always heard, oh, these European coaches, they make you ride much easier. I'm like, maybe I've been riding too hard, and he's much less interval based very pro volume which is kind of my thing anyways and i've never felt fresher and better for longer and so i think just like you said the intervals that you're doing in february march is way more than you're going to do through the season and that was my biggest misstep i think in in kind of trying to do my own thing so it's yeah the- i
1: think i think that you know if i think about it that's exactly what naturally happened, because you start to come into this really good level of fitness, and you know and it's hard to stay there, you know mm-hmm. it's like peak form it's hard it's hard to really stay there, so trying to keep doing the intervals when you really don't you know you don't it, it's not going to pay off right there when you're doing it. you might have done i think like a couple of sets of really good intervals, you're like, man, you know, and I just nailed those, but no race that weekend, you know, so then you go out you know after a while like you know you if you did race like you said you were like as a lot of times when I race i um, I decide whether or not I can, you know, I can go to Donaldson on Tuesday, which is like our Tuesday night worlds. Um, because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm I'm already broken from the race weekend. I know I'm probably not completely recovered. So if I go and do that at Donaldson, will will I have time to even recover before we race again? So mm-hmm. I I think about how I'm feeling and have I recovered and um mentally how I'm feeling about doing it, you know, mm-hmm.
2: like that's
1: what I do now. You know, when I was younger, I was just bullheaded. Like you know, <laughs> you know like oh you don't get fast if you ever go slow you know you right just,
0: right
1: yeah. so hey, yeah
0: qu- question is, I'm looking at these questions do you have 10 can we go 10 minutes longer do you have time oh sure <laughs> yeah. okay um because I'm like okay if I have 10 minutes I really have to be specific with the questions I ask have okay. you um so what is have you ever read Stacey Sims the book roar
1: um I've I've read summaries of it and like reviews because sure. I've you know, when I worked full, full time as, and I just had very little time to read except for things pertaining to like medical nutrition therapy and things like that. Um, But I know I did, I know, I think she has a PhD in like exercise physiology or something like that. I don't know her
0: exact background, but I heard her speak. And the mm -hmm. only reason I asked you about this is what, can you comment all on like training through different hormone phases? Cause I've talked to a few female athletes who are open to it and some, I just, I'm like, hey, I get it. I'm a guy. If you don't want to talk about this, that's cool. Um, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's totally fine No, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool out. with it. Yeah. Okay. What do you? Yeah. So, in in trying to understand it and not being ignorant, being a male athlete, do you use different hormonal phases to train different things, or do you just go based on how you feel that day? Because, and I can't remember exactly which phase Stacy was talking about where it's like, you're not going to PR or it's like another, uh, phase. That's when you should be focusing on PRS and in talking to different female athletes, they've kind of had different responses. So I'm always curious, like, do do you think there's a overarching rule that women can follow? So like, Hey, you're in this phase, you should be doing this. Or is it more personal? Like figure out when you're feeling good. Look at when you PR, like, this is the thing guys don't obviously think about. Um, Mm -hmm how would you guide a newer cyclist who's trying to get into training to Uh understand that or what, what should they look for?
1: Well, I can say it's definitely something like, I mean, I got an app on my phone every important race to me when it's coming up, I try to say, where am I going to be? Not because mainly because I know it's not that I changed my expectations, but I, I feel like, like, and her book says this, it is true. Like right. Right after you start and like the week before, Mm -hmm. it's like it's night and day compared to like the week before or maybe a week and a half before. And and so what I do is like I know that I'm not going to feel as strong those that during that time frame, especially the week before, as I do the week uh, you know when you start and then the week after um so what i what i do is like you know i feel like i'm fortunate when a a really important race falls in line with that but there's nothing i can do to change that so i've learned i've learned you know i'm always going to try my hardest but i'm not going to think something's wrong or you know i'm going to realize I, i'll write that off as like that probably wasn't the best i could do but that's all i could do like what mm-hmm. choice do i have that, you know like if a race happens I'm, so i don't let it get in my head you know yeah. i just realize i'm just all i can do is go out there and do the best i can do I, and again, if you listen to your body, there are times where you are craving more carbohydrates and she talks about it. Um, so don't ignore that. And, you mm-hmm. know, if you're if you're an athlete that's worried about weight and, you know, and you're, you know, like that time I say you build your plate. But for some reason, you're just feeling like, you know, I'm dragging. Oh, I'm really dragging you. Well, you might need some more carbs. So I I, th- I think she probably has a good point, you know, because I definitely know the difference. You know, well, I think the. That.
0: Sorry to cut you off there. I think the point the great thing that you said, though, is like it's it sounds like make the best of what you have based around real life and something that guys or women can att- can speak to. And you being someone that has a job where you're working full time and being a mom, let's take it away from the female athlete side of things. You know, when I was selling medical devices, there were times where I was standing in the hospital till 7 p.m. and I was going to be going to drive to a race that started. I was like. Oh, great. In 12 hours, I'm waking up for this bike race and I'm in the freaking (laughs) hospital three hours from the start of the race. Like that happens. We're amateur. Most of us listening to this are amateur athletes. And it's what you said of, you know, not, not giving it your all. I didn't go to the race and just say, okay, whatever, but be kind to yourself. We can't always be, it's not always the perfect run up and it's just try to figure it out. Go give it your best shot um that's i think that's an amazing message for everybody to hear but so and that is tricky i mean does that bum you out when you look to, do you ever train less for maybe say hey, well that race is going to be where i'm not probably so hot maybe i should shift something like an a priority race to something else
1: no my life is so you know i know one of your questions you mentioned might talk about is like trying to fit in you know, being a parent I, I have to work with the time that comes up. I, mm-hmm. I have to be flexible. Like when some things, when you can control things, you can set yourself into some good habits, but when your life has factors that you cannot control, then you got to use the opportunities that come up. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to skip a race. That could be a good argument. I could say, Hey, you know, for the effort to go in, in, in the competition that will be there, you know, is this even going to be fun for you? You know, is this even going to be fun for you if you know, that, that this is not going to be a good event for you. And, and for some reason, that's it's never stopped me from wanting to go to a race. You know, it just never has, I guess, because I still just love to race. And I think maybe, you know, just maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I won't feel as bad as, as I know I might feel. Right. And, and sometimes there, are, sometimes you can surprise yourself, you know. Yes. Honestly. <laughs> sometimes you're like, oh, man, I almost I thought I'd do awful and I won the thing. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a race. Um, and there's probably, you know, thinking, God, you know, this isn't going to go well and I win. And then sometimes, you know, honestly, I'll, I know I'm feeling bad and I, and I don't do as well as I thought. And I'm just, you know, I don't beat myself up. I have learned long ago. Like I used to tell, and I don't know exactly what this means, but I would tell people, it's like, you're really never as good as your last race anyway, whether you just did really, really well, everybody's, you know, or did really, really poorly. You know, every time you show up, it's like the new you that people are thinking about, you know, like Mm -hmm. You know, and after a time that builds up, like if you start getting a lot of wins and a lot of wins, then you get a reputation. But until, you know, if you consistently, you know, always go up and you keep working, then you might start getting better. Nobody will forever remember that you didn't do well at, you know, Sonny King, you know, or got popped out of a race.
0: Man, like people, there's always lines that I'm like, people are going to think I'm paying this person to say this, like, because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was an athlete that wanted to go to a state stage race and then was thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't go do the state road race. You know, uh, you know, do you think I'm going to be too tired? I'm like, no, it's going to be great. It's the week before plenty of time to recover. You should go do this. You need more experience. And mm-hmm. the past couple of weekends hadn't been amazing. So they think, no, maybe I'm not ready for this. I said, it's the state championship. Just go <laughs> have fun. And they <laughs> won. And they're like, exactly. I can't believe I almost didn't go to this race.
2: <laughs> yeah. And
0: you know, it's, yeah you have to allow yourself to surprise yourself sometimes and it's got to do the reps and part of being good at bike racing is just getting bike races under your belt you're going to learn something from every single race if you look for the lesson and i think it's the ego too we're in the social media world where everyone thinks that well Joey pants 24 is going to see on Instagram that I came in seventh. And if this had been the perfect week, maybe I could have come in third because I saw this other person train on Strava and I'm probably better than him, but now I'm not because this happened. maybe I just shouldn't go.
2: Yeah, And
0: I try to tell people, guess whose result everyone cares about the bike race their own. No exactly. one remembers what freaking place you came in. And after five years, I can't remember what place I came in, in my own races. So go find go have fun and you know
1: no there's i told i was telling and i'm older now i was saying there has to be something fun and by insight and bike racing that doesn't involve being on a podium because mm-hmm. so many people don't get to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. So if
1: you're someone who's used to getting on the podium and then you wrote that you might start to think, well, I think what I really loved was getting on the podium. Did I even love bike racing? If you can't still love it, you know, when you don't get on the podium,
2: uh-huh. I mean, that's
1: the way I think about it. Cause I'm at my age, there's not a lot of masters women's racing. So I'm still racing with people that are 20 and 30 yeah. <laughs> and 40. So, you know, and I, You know, I think, you know, there has to be something fun in this because I may not be able to manipulate this to the level that I could before, but I did my work like I did Mm -hmm. my work, you know, Um, it's not like I just showed up like people would say to me like, oh, you make that look so easy. And I'd want to say. Oh, it's just easy for you. Are you going to win it again? And I was like, well, it's as easy as getting up every morning at 530 and being to bed on time. And if all of the, you know, and, I, and riding for two hours and suffering up this hill, if that's easy, then yeah, but winning a bike race is easy. <laughs> you know, but just because I went out there and, you know, and, and it made that look easy. I was like, no, that, you know, that's not the easy part. You know, really is represents a lot of work.
2: A
0: lot of work and it's, uh, you have to definitely love the process. And I think that's one thing that has changed for me of when I first started, it was always, you know, I was obsessed with trying to upgrade. So you're very results obsessed. If I didn't win, I was super disappointed. Um, mm-hmm. and I was kind of, do I didn't really have many buddies that I was doing it with. So it's like, I was driving five hours to this crit and then driving two hours to the road race on Sunday and driving home. And if you got zero points, it was like, man. <laughs> what am I doing out here? Like, I'm, I definitely like this because I'm doing it. Like that was my weekend. Now I'm going back to, back to work, but yeah. it is, I think the older I've gotten, it's, I've been trying to, I think it's been through coaching people and just really trying to find something on that race weekend. That is fun besides the race. Also like something in the trip, something with the people I'm going with, um, you know, it it's, the, the bike race weekend can be so much more than just what the podium delivers. And, you know, it's funny that you bring up the age thing. I'm feeling dated in the P1 races. And I told Andrew at the last race, I said, hey, man, I love seeing you here because you inspire me to keep doing these races because he hops in both. And because there's yeah. a lot of I can only do now next year, I'll be able to do the 40 plus stuff. But usually there's only one race still. And oh, they're going to
2: love
1: around. that. Oh, they're going
0: to love it. I can't they be like, wait. why are
1: you here? Why are you just to Andrews? I was like, go race the pro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the thing is, it, it is funny. You know, I am I was at the last race this season was the North Carolina road race. And I'm looking around. I'm riding with these guys who are at 20, 21. And after the race, I don't have much in common with them besides the bike race. And that's what somebody said to me. They said, you seem to really like Masters race. And I said, because I finish. And I, these are my peers, uh, you know, fish, yeah. so going to masters nationals, there is a different vibe and a different respect in that race. And everybody who doesn't race masters wants to make fun of it. I'm like, okay, wait, wait till you do it. Number one, there's just a different vibe. It's just yeah. that I first they're, they're, felt...
2: they're real
1: settled. And most, most of the time, like, you know, you know, they want to wake up and go to a job the next day and, and their identity, I don't think maybe for some isn't caught up in racing, or they wouldn't still be racing. So many people yeah.
2: just
1: stop because it's you know.
2: <laughs>
0: and you made a comment earlier that I feel like you would. You agree that you're cyclist before bike racer, or bike racer than cyclist.
1: um I'm definitely like a cyclist. I mean, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. It's yeah. it's like therapy. It takes me places physically and mentally. Um, if I never, I love racing because I like I like the mental aspect of of trying to manipulate scenarios or, you know, like when I went to, you know, went to master's NAS and trying to think outside the box, you know, and mm-hmm. seeing if it worked. Um, I like the I like, I like a plan working. I don't, I don't like the arguments that we get in and racing that, that probably, you know, the pettiness that comes out <laughs> us as racers, I, I, that part I don't really enjoy. And as I get older, I get you know, I get more snappy about it, but that's why it would be fun to be with Masters because I don't think they're, they, I don't think they get as like their feelings hurt as, as much, you know, and, um, they're experienced and yeah. So definitely a cyclist level. before a bike racer, but what about yeah. you? Are you, do you think you're Cycles a cyclist? before
0: a bike racer. If i never, I like racing. If I never raced again, wouldn't be, wouldn't be a problem. Um, if I could never ride again, I have a broken, t- I have a broken bone in my foot, the sesamoid. And it is just one of the, it's in the ball of your foot. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's so small. They can't pin it or fix it. And so I broke it, um, in 2012, I believe. And mm-hmm. I was at tour of the Catskills and almost was going to walk my bike the last 10 miles. My teammate actually pushed me and I was like, okay, I need to go to the doctor. And like, it would have been kind of bothering me long mm-hmm. story short, some surgeons will remove it and others are adamant about not touching it because especially if you're under like 60, it can create a ton of foot problems. And so this guy finally said, he's looking at me he's like, look, so I'm confused. Is this your job? Like, I know you're in medical sales here at the hospital. Like, what's your deal? I'm like, this is everything to me. If I, and I told him, I said, I don't care if I can ever race, but I cannot pedal 30 minutes without being on the side of the road. And it was like a hot, like someone just had a poker in my foot. And mm. so- long story short, he finally convinced me, he told me to go get insoles. And I was like, dude, I've tried everything insoles. And (laughs) he goes, go to this guy and tell him what I'm telling you and just try them. And so he heated up this insole and pushed his thumb in it and put it in my shoe. So it takes just a little bit of extra pressure off. I cannot feel it. It's crazy. And I've Thank this guy. And I walked in like, I need custom orthotics. I'm ready to spend a thousand dollars, whatever I have to do. And the guy's like, yeah, $29.99. We're going to heat this up with a hairdryer and push my thumb down. I'm like, this is oh, that's
2: crazy. Crazy. Oh yeah. crazy."
0: So if I ever <laughs> saw that surgeon again, I would, cause he's like, listen, I'm not going to take this bone out of your foot. You'll find a hack that will, but I'm yeah. telling you do not do that. So anyways, I have three more big questions for you okay. and I don't want to take up your whole night. Okay. So okay. This is a very popular question, especially with newer cyclists in the women's peloton when you can sometimes all be grouped together. And I have heard Debbie's name come up. I'm a cat four. I have to go race Debbie Milne. And there's also this other hitter there and this other hitter. And I want to know what advice would you give to women that are in that boat? Because sometimes it's a race where there's not much that they can do. They can't hang on at all. And their race is over in literally 10 minutes, the first climb. But, you know, it's a tough situation. Men don't face this problem. And it's a problem with the numbers there. It's a problem with certain promoters. It's, you know, how would some, what's the, and I don't know the answer. What do you think is the best way to approach these Sometimes I say, Hey, you just got to go and try to hang on as long as possible. And then unfortunately, this is a race, it's not going to be a great weekend. Turn it into endurance ride and just get the miles in and go have fun. Like, don't you're just not there yet. But trust me, Debbie didn't get there in a week either. So you need to go ride and just see what happens. Um, if there's not big climbs or if the course isn't brutal, then maybe they can hang on a little bit longer. But how do you, like, what do the other women talk about? I'm sure if we have like a one, two, three race, a lot of us are like, Hey, let's just throttle this to get rid of the threes. And then we'll start racing a little yeah. bit different dynamic though. Cause threes are closer to one twos than fives are to you. Yeah. What advice would you give to them?
1: Well, I can say that, um, a lot of the races, um, there's not, they don't put us all together, but they do some maybe mm. regionally. That's more, more like that. Um, I think what you said is true. Like, um, first of all, I, I know it's, it's hard because, you know, for one, if, if, again, if someone's, if you spend your life comparing yourself to others, you know, like to, 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 then you're, you got to take other things into consideration. Like, you know, like, Oh, I've been training a long time. Like when I came into racing, um, you know, if you, if you just barely got started, that's not the best you're going to see. I mean, it really isn't. And hopefully, You know, like, if if they let you finish the race, you won't be alone, probably, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I would, I would advise them, you know, to, you know, to, if there's other fours in there, I mean, they, I I would just say, get to know the the women that are, you know, in the same boat as you. And, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, because a lot of times, if you get dropped off, you know, just looking back to see, oh, wait a minute, there's someone else and they're almost they're almost up to me, at least waiting for that person. And the two of you can work together, maybe catch the group again, um, or maybe, you know, maybe just have someone to ride with and just go as hard, just, just keep swapping licks and just ride as hard as you can, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, to, to make it a really good workout. I do think that when they added a five, I, my understanding for the men was when they had, they started out and it was only cat four um, and then it, the sport grew so much. that so they added a cat five. It's been a long time since I heard that, but I think they added a cat five because the numbers were so large, but the numbers weren't that large for women in the cat four. So I'm not sure why they added a cat five because now a lot of times, you know, they used to be able to at least do two races. You could do a one, two and a three, four, five. And I think when I was coming along, it was about like that. I mean, I'm not a three, four, five, a one, two and a three, four. Mm. And so the three, four race, you know, you, you know, then they feel like, okay, we only did two races and, um, and you're, you, you at least got some people that are still like at your level, mm-hmm. um, the, um, the, the year, like the years I was coming along for two years, they had a cap four series only. And they guaranteed in this series that there would be races. And that was the beginner category at that time. They said this whole series, there's like six or seven series in this. And we promise you, you'll have your own race. And that I think was a good way to, I mean, it takes a tough person to come out and think, you know what, even though I keep getting spit out the back and pulled from this race, I'm still good. And to men's credit, like I'm always amazed when 120 men line up and, and they know in the back they they know it's like, Oh, I, I might get 10 laps, but they keep coming back, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I mean, just to be tough and realize that doesn't mean you're not a good athlete. I mean, just mm-hmm. coming out there and doing that, I'm sure they have women in their life who look at her and say, Oh my gosh, you race bikes. You know, people, mm-hmm. my friends who don't ride bikes and they don't race bikes, they think like, man, that is badass. You know, you're mm-hmm. that's really tough. You, you know, you go out there and you know, sometimes it's in the rain and you might crash. So you are tough, you know, a oh, woman hell, is tough yeah. to even come and you may have to like. I do, I would like to see them have their own race, just because I know it's hard starting out. Um, Mm -hmm. um, I like to encourage them, but but I would say just try to to get to know the people that are in the same boat as you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, we used to say like, hey, if you if you don't like being started with them, you guys could just let the higher level women go down the road. The problem is you can't always get everybody on board with that because it exactly. all it takes yeah, is one, yeah, four, five. To- <laughs> exactly. exactly
0: one more five. I'm getting the free ride as long as I can. They're like, no, nah, yeah. you guys
1: can way back here, but I'm not going to do it. So yeah, yeah. It, I would just say realize that it's it's a process, and if they if you want something and it, it, it takes work, like you really got to work on it. When mm-hmm. I jumped into racing, that I'd been riding for years, like hauling mm-hmm. my kids around in a trailer, like a hundred and 80 pounds just to get them to the park. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, it was a vehicle. So I had done a lot of work before I stepped into the racing scene, you know, Mm -hmm. so I was super strong, but not savvy on tactics and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So if it's important to them, then I would say, stick with it, you know, and just look for those small gains every race, like, like the men do like, Oh man, I survived half the race instead of five laps.
0: Pe- people and I don't know if this is the internet age or if this is the internet is full of the shortcuts to boost your FTP and everybody thinks that they are going to be their best in four years and, and my the thing I've been trying to preach lately is where you're at if you're three years into training you are a newbie still mm-hmm. you're gonna you think you know a lot compared to when you were year one which is true I laugh. And when I hit five years, I was like, oh, my God, I know so much more than what I knew three years. And now I look back, I laugh at myself. And I have people that somebody asked me very recently, hey, so if I do 18 hour weeks, is that going to help me for next season? I said, yeah, but that's really more. They're 30 years old. I said, yeah, but that's going to set you up for when you're 35. And they're like, oh, well. I'm like, maybe in this for another year. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, it's good to know that that you have that timeline. <laughs> you're never going to hit your best. And that's not a knock. That's just the reality. If you keep up with it, you're going to go so far down the road. But everybody mm-hmm. wants it in. And that's the one thing I do like about social media is somebody said, I- I've been trying to just, like you said, you got to put in the reps. You got to put in the volume. And someone said, holy crap, man, you posted this video. And I realized how many years you've ridden 10,000 miles. It's a lot of them. And I said, that's the only reason why I'm still relevant going on 40 in local racing. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you gotta just do the time. There's no, yeah, used to
1: call that depth, like depth, you know, you don't, you don't, yes. there was a cycling quote that says you don't get really good at bike racing. Cause you train hard one season. That's it's called the quotable cyclist. And there's all these famous cyclists that like, they'll talk about some topic, whether it's training or, you know, I don't know gas station's office called The Quotable Cyclist, but in there, and I, I used to read it religiously because I just wanted, I was like you, I just want to know everything about cycling and and what the culture was like. And But I remember reading that once and and I can't paraphrase it, but he said something like, you really don't get, you don't get really good at cycling because you train real hard one season. And then there's a the second part of the quote that I can't remember, but it stuck with me. I was like, you know, if I really love this, I got to find something about, like you said, the process of doing this. And, and, and believe me, like the guy who, free soloed, you know, El Capitan mm-hmm. knew, I mean, he didn't just get into that sport, you know, right. you know, and, and do it in three years. Like he, he had so many things have to be automated and finessed and this depth of strength build up because being good at bike racing is also being smart about where to spend your energy and how to hide and how to get out of the wind. And that, you know, there's a lot of things about it that until you've got that, like a non-thinker part where you just automatically do it you know, then you're, then you're going to be constantly thinking about, you know, the wrong things or not knowing where to spend your energy and spending it in the wrong place. Instead of looking for that just precise moment to say, no, I have to go with this. No, I, (laughs) you know, don't go with that.
0: Yes. And depth is something that's not a metric that we can easily talk about at the water cooler. I can tell you what my FTP is, but I can't tell you how many times I can do 120% of my FTP. Right. So it's like, it's just not an easy metric. And I had Cody Stevenson on a while ago. from training peaks. And it was great to hear him talking about just some of the things that we can't measure that are very important that a newer cyclist is even going to know to think about. And so just like anything, you just experience is worth gold and definitely an endurance sports. Um, okay. My last question, and I'll let you go. I appreciate you sticking around for so long. What do you think is, what are some tactics to use to maintain, maintain strength for any athlete as they get older? I've always been on. i Everyone's not into this, but I think lifting year round is a great thing. What's your thought on lifting? And especially as you got older, did that change at all from what you were doing earlier in your uh, racing years?
1: Well, I used to early on, I used to run every day. I just had kids and dogs and we, and we needed to run them on the trail. So I would run one or two more miles one or two, one or two miles a day, which was good for bone density. And that's what I was going to say okay. that the weight training. And when you spend all this time in a non-contact, non-con, um, you know, non-impact sport, you need, as you age, you need to maintain your bone density. So things like our dancing, you know, you could do things like dancing or running, but weightlifting does that too. Um, So I, I used to, I always did core work and I still do to this day, but I, I get so busy like, I got to get back into that habit of not missing twice, you know, mm-hmm. like I might miss a day and I got to say, okay, I missed a day. I need to recognize that. And I don't need to miss twice. Core work just means like abs and that sort of thing. But I always did like bridges for my lower back. And um, just because I felt like that helped me with climbing, this is an ignorant person's perspective of like, how can I be strong for climbing? Cause I really wanted to do good climbing, but the weight training, I'll say, you 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 it's harder to maintain muscle mass as we age and harder to build it, mm-hmm. so I would say like the weight training you know i don't know if you had a routine if it's light weight training, um maybe the legs you don't need to so much train uh, during the season, but the upper body and the core mm-hmm. and you know only only if weight training interfered with a workout that you wanted to complete but like typically i i would do i don't know if I'll get to do it this year, but I would go to the gym and do things like squats and Um, you know, fitness isn't really static. So if you lift a lot of weights and you don't continue to do it, you're just, your muscle mass will, you know, decline again. So Mm -hmm. I just like something that's sustainable that I could do all year round that doesn't break me down that much, but just maintains what I have. And and you just, you fit that in on the best training day. Um, again, I'm not an exercise physiologist or a coach, but that that's, that's what I've done because, you know, for me, like we just had to take down some trees in the yard and I, and I hadn't, I hadn't had as much time to do weight training as I had in the past. And, and, you know, that just, that put me back. Like, I'm t- I'm still tired from, it. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I'm really still tired from it. And I thought to myself, you know, it's, it's really good for just overall health and even cycling. Like people don't realize how much your arms that you use, like in sprinting and climbing.
2: <laughs> yes. Do. Okay,
0: hey, here's another five dollars for that quote right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good. Well, you know what? I I'm, I'm just glad to know that I that I I'm hitting some things right with, no, this, with this my ideas.
0: was <laughs> usually I'm gonna start calling you Coach Milne because I think anybody <laughs> that is out there, like you said, I you know I love when people are like, well, I'm probably not the athlete that you'd want to work with. I'm like, I want to work with anyone that wants to get better. I was doing loser stuff in life before I found cycling. I would hate if a coach was like, sorry, you're not, nope, I don't want you. Aww, like,
2: yeah. <laughs> And
0: so anybody that wants to just try and improve as a human being, let's freaking go. And I tell everybody who's new, I'm like, you're the best athlete for me to coach. Like, I can definitely make you faster. If you were new and you haven't been training, pff, no problem. Yeah, like, I
1: promise you, you'll see some results. You yeah. will see some
0: results. <laughs> the person that's really hard is when Owen Shot calls me and is like, hey, I've won three masters national champions. I'm going for 10, give me 10 more Watts. I'm like, damn, Owen. Okay. Like we got to really go to the drawing board (laughs) on this one. So (laughs) no, that's really good. And I actually, my, I got injured last year. I got two into lifting and what I didn't follow was exactly what you said. Something that was sustainable through doing the workouts that, that on the bike. And so I ended up injuring my ql quadratus lumborum and it ended up being i was one of those things i was denying to myself and i was on the side of the road about 45 minutes into a ride i'm like god i need to go to a pt this is not good and luckily they figured everything out and and there was a guy through strava actually who commented on another lifting post he said this is interesting that you would recommend lifting max and i said well tell me like this is just what i've People we have talked about, and tell me kind of your philosophy. I'd love to learn more. And we did a podcast, this guy, Matt Bickford, he does it based off RPE, never maxing out. And uh, it has really just changed my perspective on what I need to be doing in the gym and not getting obsessed about you know, I'll be honest, I was lifting and when I saw the gains in lifting, it was like a different kind of buzz. And I was like, oh, this is actually pretty fun. Like and I'm yeah. getting kind of jacked and I've never been like, <laughs> I've never looked like this. And this is, and that was kind of addicting. And so yeah. Yeah. trying to remind myself, Hey man, you're doing this to be a faster cyclist, not to win yeah. Mr. Universe. Um, <laughs> but it is very funny now that I'm in Florida, the gym I go to is very Mr. Universe. And so people oh, look no. at me a like, lot, uh, but I actually, I really enjoy it. It's like, these dudes are soup. They are as serious about lifting as we are about, mm-hmm. about cycling. And, um, I almost, there's like a area to deadlift and you have, cause it has extra support. So people don't mash through the, these guys are deadlifting insane weights. Oh, I wonder no, like, can-, can I go deadlift over there? Because I promise you, I'm not going to, nothing that I drop is going <laughs> through the floor here. <laughs> it's, uh it's quite the place, but I need more of a muscle I I don't fit in in my, like, you know, well, you should come and- to
1: Greenville. Cause, um. Like, when we go in the gym, it's funny because you walk in and, like, you can peg a cyclist. And, and there's a lot of cyclists in <laughs> yeah. Greenville. And I'm laughing because we are like, I know they're looking at us probably in, like, you got some work to do.
0: People <laughs> will it? actually make comments, though, on my calves. They're, like, yo, dude, let me – what are you doing for your legs? And I'm, like, I ride a bike a lot. They're, like, oh, man, because, like, you're not really big, but, like, your legs, dude. I'm, like <laughs> – I appreciate that. Yeah. Ride a bike. Like, so what are you doing? Like 30 miles? I'm like,
2: ah, yeah, I know.
0: Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. You're uh, like, what's your
1: longest ride? And you, if you tell them they're like, no, I mean, they really think that you are absolute loony. Yeah. They're like, no, not hundred miles in a like,
0: day in one yeah. ride. <laughs> yeah. like, that's the gas. <laughs> yes. you, you rode from where? And you're riding back. Like, oh yeah.
1: That's my favorite one. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the only way to get home. Oh. You know? uh. I mean,
0: this was awesome
1: it was um, it was fun thank you, yeah,
0: thank you for coming on. any parting words for the people that I'm maybe not anything I didn't hit on I know I sent you that's I usually send like a hundred questions and then I just sort of like I like to just let the conversation oh, yeah. flow, but was there anything that I missed that you were trying to uh get across to everybody?
1: no um just I would say if 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 you really feel like you love riding a bike, just be sure that whatever you're doing you know doesn't you know that doesn't feel so bad or so wrong, or you get to yourself place where you don't love to ride a bike. I used to say this, I used to say, if, if riding a bike or racing a bike is a means to an end, instead of the end, then you may one day find out that you really never love cycling at all or biking. So if you really think you love biking, you know, just keep that in mind, you know, treat it as the end, you know, not the means to some end, like, you know, I mean, to people liking me or a means to being better accepted by people. Like if it's, if your identity is caught up in your outcome in racing, then, then there may be a day that you just walk away from cycling. And it's such a wonderful sport. Like mm. I'm cycling is a wonderful sport. So don't let bike racing, take you away from cycling. Mm. Yeah. As much as I do like bike racing, you know, don't, don't let it, don't let racing a bike take you away from cycling. That's,
0: yeah. You know, that is, uh, that's a really good, I you know, I guess, I don't know if I've come across, maybe I don't see it as much. I definitely, it's a really interesting, resonating with me so well because I'm going to Vuelta Ecuador in a week. And someone was like, you must be so pumped for this race. I'm actually going to stay about five days after that. So I'm, you know, it's weird. I'm pumped for the race, but I'm pumped that this family in Ecuador is coming to pick me up in Quito and we're going to Ibarra and I'm staying with this guy that my friend knows and his mom is planning to like cook for us and I'm going to go do these random bike rides. I'm actually more excited for that. And I was like, that feels bad. So I shouldn't say that, but it's, I don't know the adventure, you know, I think exactly, you know, I think that's a really great point to end on. So. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank
0: you for coming Mm -hmm. on. Look forward to seeing you next year, some of the races and uh, definitely if, so masters nationals, is that the biggest goal next year? Or Um, Well, you still do, don't you still do pronats?
1: yeah i do i do i was i, I got an
0: excuse me so pronouns i won't i won't be there i'm not invited to that um oh, but if no, yeah. You're not. no I'm, I'm only amateur um okay. i was maybe there was a team that i was maybe going to get on with but if you there was some rule this year i think that you had to have like been on the roster for for whatever i don't belong in that race anyways so
1: well, I don't know about that. I mean, if you think it's a fun experience, I can
0: tell you Knoxville's pretty cool. To Knoxville's race. Knoxville's cool. Hmm. I just, I don't know. I think that course more specifically is, is probably not the best one. I don't know. I would go do the race if I could, but anyways, maybe in Albuquerque, I'll see you. I'll see you in the Southeast, but big races I'm thinking yep. of. Um, do you think it'll be out there again next year?
1: I've heard that from exactly. people who I think know. So I've actually, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, it's in Albuquerque. But yeah. until they announce it, I guess, you know, you never know. I heard they made a lot of money, like $825,000 the city did from the revenue. Wow. I, and don't my quote God. me on that. But I, I just, just in the back of my mind, I, I Googled to see if they announced it in Albuquerque. And I saw some article on how the city was happy about the revenue. That oh, was no way. Out, so. Well,
0: there's not much going on in Albuquerque. It's It was pretty quiet where we were i know where i'm going to try and stay up by the course next time i was downtown and i was like Ooh, this is
1: did you do sandia
2: <laughs> mhm
0: i you did went-
1: yeah
0: that was yeah. fun that actually has me yeah riding that high was it like hit 8000 like okay this is getting tougher and it was a really funny power curve um <sighs> I did down. Pikes Peak
1: in Colorado Springs, and you probably weren't there because you probably weren't old enough, right? Did you go to Colorado?
0: Springs? Uh, well, two, three years ago, or four years ago?
1: Two years ago. Oh, yeah, three years ago. So it was the
0: Air Force course. I was there.
1: Did you ride Pikes Peak? No. That is like crazy.
0: How high does it go to?
1: 14,000. For- <laughs> no, when you get to the top, you're like loopy. You're like, and, and there's no rails or anything. It's like crazy.
0: Well, so Val Ecuador is going to 12,000, I believe. I'll be in the pedo by then. Supposedly Richard Carapaz might ride to the national team. And I was like, wait, yeah, <laughs> oh which would be incredible. I'm like, I just want to see the guy's Olympic gold bike. And yeah, just, just ride inside
1: this. him for a while. Dude. I'm sorry, but I'm a fan. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Debbie, thank you. Uh, yeah, have a
1: great trip. That's thank when? you. When are you going again?
0: I'm going on Sunday, and the race starts oh on gosh. Wednesday, and it's eight sta- eight days. Seven days? Eight days? Eight stages? That's It'll be tough. a doozy. It's going to be the biggest race I've ever done, so I'm pretty pretty pumped for that. And just, so
1: exciting. Yeah. yeah Good luck.
0: Weird. Thanks, Debbie. I'll talk to you soon. See you soon. See you. Bye.